This past December, uh, Ginny and I bought a, um, a play set for the grandkids. Well, because what are we going to do with it, right? But, you know, yeah, that's what you do. You get old and you buy stuff for the grandkids. And so we bought this. We, we had our eye on this play set, I should say. It was kind of expensive, so we were waiting in, 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 until it went on sale, keeping our eye on it. Um, we had checked online, and actually uh, Sam's Club had the lowest price in their store, so that was the one we began keeping our eye on. Well, I talked to the manager last fall, and I said, Aren't you going to put this on sale, dude? I mean, you got all your other summer stuff on sale. What about this? And he said, well, they didn't tell me yet. He said, sometimes they go on sale on Black Friday. He said, last year they did. They put it on sale on Black Friday and took a couple hundred bucks off. I thought, okay, I was hoping for more than a couple hundred bucks off. But um, I said, okay. And uh, so we waited. Black Friday came and went, and uh, they never went on sale. Didn't go on sale for Black Friday. Well, I, you know, we waited. I just kept my eye on it because as I'm looking, as I'm looking at this thing, you know, I was checking the price every week when we went to Sam's Club and, and finally they went on sale. Well, then we were to the place where I wanted to wait till after the first of the year to get it because it was cold out. I couldn't do anything with it. And I didn't want these boxes sitting in, in my garage taking up space. You know, here, this is what it comes in. You know, it comes when you when you have all the way up to kit seven on this thing. I mean, you know that I just I just didn't want this thing taking up room in my garage. So I asked the guy. I said, "How many you got left?" And he said, "I don't know. He had fourteen or something like that." And I said, "Well, what's the you know what's the chances these things are going to be left?" He looks back. He says, "Well, I sold two in the last four months." I thought, "Well, we're pretty good." You know, we're pretty good then. So, uh, you know, they, they, they had gotten marked down. Well, and I, we, you know, as we're going back, it, you know, it went, it went down a, a little bit more, checked again, you know, after Christmas, right after Christmas. They had marked that price down again. So I grabbed one of the salespeople and I asked him, I said, how, how many, you know, of these things are left? He said, that floor model is the only one left. Oh, dude, you know, you're not, now you're killing me. Uh, so it was a few days before the first of the year. And I said to Jenny, hmm, I wonder if it'll still be there after the first of the year. I really don't, I, I really wanted to wait till after the first of the year. Uh, you know, and, and so I decided, well, I should probably get it. Cause the guy told me, he said, that's the last one. We're not getting any more and that's it. So they took this, you know, I, I bought the, the floor model. And we're talking just, you know, I forget what it was, 29th of December, something like that. They took this thing apart for me. This is what it looks like. Here's where they took it apart. You see this right here? They took this stuff off and those legs off and that. And then they had this whole tower as one piece. Now, without the slide and the stairs. I, <laughs> I come in to pick it up. And I said, I just wanted to see what it was so I knew what I had to bring to to pick it up wasn't going to fit in the van uh, so they go and they show me this tower you know this tower is there and i looked at it and i looked at them and i looked at it again i looked at them they said we thought you'd want to leave this together i said what am i what am i going to do with this well we thought you'd get a few a few guys a few guys you know and i said you didn't need to take you know 
need to take that apart more. So, so they, they took it apart for me the second time, you know, and, and, and got the, uh, the pieces. Uh, so on a cold, freezing day in December, I went and picked up all the parts. Some of them were still partially assembled. They left that roof, that, that roof thing all together, you know, and some of it, it was partially assembled. And then they also handed me a box of bolts. And a 92-page, 92-page instruction manual on how to, how it was supposed to go together if you, if you had it with the seven boxes and the seven parts, um, you know, that were there. I took them home. I took all the parts home and I piled them on the patio because I still didn't want them taking up room in my garage. Uh, I wanted to be able to get my car in there. So I just piled them on the patio waiting for warm weather. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I decided I was going to put the thing together. Well, because I was buying the last one and there weren't any more, they gave me the display banner. I'm a man. I looked at the picture and decided I was going to put this thing together. It very soon became apparent to me, the picture doesn't show all the parts. <laughs> there's stuff underneath here, and there's all these other things. And so I, you know, I had to quickly abandon, uh, had to abandon the picture and open the instruction manual up, you know, to see w- what it was and where all of the bolts were supposed to go and everything. I looked in this box of bolts they gave me. Now it was, they were all loose in the box, not in these, handy little marked bags as it says in the instructions that would have been great but they didn't do put them back in the bags for me you know i got this box so i discovered there were 13 different types of bolts in there with two styles of nuts that would fit any of the 13 styles of bolts that were in there now, on top of that, there were two different types of, of screws that went in there and three different types of washers. The washers would fit any of the 15 bolts and screws, you know, that were in there. I became very familiar with page 13. Page 13 has life-size pictures of what the bolts were. Because you can see some of them look similar, like these two here. Uh, but they're different lengths, you see. And so I, I started laying the bolt down on top of, to see what bolt, what bolt was supposed to go where, you know, to put this, so, so I could put this thing together and what washer I was actually supposed to use. Uh, I refer to this page often as I put this thing together. It's now up and functional. This is it in my backyard. And uh, the grandkids tested it out last weekend. It didn't tip over. <laughs> I was glad about that. Nothing fell off. Well, except the, the, but the one grandkid, but that, that's another story. Uh, you know, they, gave, they gave it a, a real good test run. Uh, now, I was only able, I was only able to get that thing together because I constantly referred back, not just to page 13, because then I began to see, you know, okay, I'm a guy, so there are sometimes I had to go back and undo what I did before I look at the instructions to see what you're supposed to do. Just a couple of times, though. 
just a, just a couple of, maybe half a dozen. Uh, and, and uh, you know, but the instruction book, you see it's in a file folder. I'm saving this baby. I'm telling you if anything ever has to happen to that thing again, uh, you know, or, or when, when it leaves my yard, I'm just going to hand the guy a box of bolts and a 92-page instruction book and say, best of luck to you, buddy, you know. But the, the uh, you know, ma- making the play set look like it was supposed to and function like it's intended, you know, came only because I could I could follow uh, the instruction manual instead of doing how it seemed best to me. I want my grandkids to enjoy more than just a play set in my yard. I want my grandkids to enjoy life. I want them to enjoy it to the fullest. And that's only going to be possible when they have a relationship with Christ. Now, all the kids in our lives, we dismiss the kids for children's church. You know, and, and some are still up, you know, with us. Last week we did a, a dedication. Do you remember when I had you stand for the dedication? And I said, do you promise to so live so that this child will come to know Jesus Christ? You see, all of us in here, and even some who aren't in this room with us now, have an impact on how our children are going to turn out. You know, even if you don't have children, you are still having an impact on how our children and our grandchildren are going to turn out. All of us, you know, with, with the kids that are, that are in our, that are in our lives, you know, we have, we have that responsibility, uh, to help them. And their first thing they're going to do on that journey through life is look at the picture. But the picture is us and how we live. That's the first thing they're going to do. And then they're going to, we hope, learn what it is and how it is that we learn. What is the instruction book? You know, what instruction book are we doing? So let me ask you, what instructions are you following for life? Are you simply doing what seems best to you? Are you being, are you just being guided by your own ideas? Are you guided by society? Are you guided by the opinions of friends? What is it? What are the instructions that you're following through life? You're following some. You know, you're following some. What is it that you're following? As God's people, and when I say God's people, I'm talking about ones who have a relationship with Jesus. When you have a relationship with Christ, when you realize that he is the one who died for your sins, when you realize that, that you know we have life only because of him and only through him, and we have forgiveness only because of what he did on that cross for us, and when we realize that and we give our life to him, what we are saying when we do that, that implies that we are living with him, for him, and by his guidance. 
That's what it implies to be a person of God, that we are living with him as we go through our days. We are living for him, that that's the direction of our life. That's the goal of what we're doing and that we are living by his guidance in life. It means that we turned everything over to him and we're not just doing what, what seems best to us. We're not just doing what society might say or the opinions of friends. God gave us an instruction manual for life, how to best do life, for living life to the fullest, and that instruction manual is the Bible. It's the instruction manual for life. It tells us truth. It helps us to see how some of these pieces fit together. Those things that aren't always so obvious to us and how those pieces of life fit together. The the, the first, the most important, is that relationship to Christ. Because you see, if we have that relationship with Christ and then we, we know that, you know, he's given us his word. And if he's given us his word, we have a relationship with him and he's the one and he's the answer. Then we should be following what it is he told us to do. We should be living out all that he has there for us. Now we're going to see the importance of, of living by God's instructions as we look at Genesis chapter 25. But let's pray first. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the direction it gives. I thank you for the insight it gives. I thank you for the power that is there. I thank you that it helps us to see Jesus and to know him and to know who he is and to know what he's done and to know that power in our life because of his life. I pray that you would help us now as we look into your word, that we would be instructed, that we would be taught, that we would see what it means to live for you as your people. Give us guidance and direction, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 25. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 20. The Pew Bible and what I'll be reading from is the Holman Christian Standard. If you get confused looking at other versions, um, then you might want to turn there in the Pew Bible. But I'd encourage you to get a Bible open in front of you because what I'm going to do, we're going to cover the whole chapter, but obviously I'm not going to read all the verses. I'll just give you some of the what some of the verses cover, and you'll see it there in front of you. Um, but we're going to look at this passage from two angles as we go through the verses. Uh, the first angle is I'm going to point out some historical flow for you, uh, historical facts that are there, uh, historical flow of the writing and why some of it's written like it is. That's not going to show up in your outline, the outline that's in your bulletin. What will show up in the outline is the other, the other angle we're looking at it from, and that's some practical spiritual guidance for living because that's what God gives us in his word. Uh, you know, and, and these, uh, these points up here in your outline, they're going to help us understand Living as God's people better. First verse, verse number one. Genesis 25, first verse. Now Abraham had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, here's a historical part for you. What we're reading here, and as we get to chapter 25, all of this, and even in chapter 25 itself, what we are reading in chapter 25 is not necessarily in chronological order. Not necessarily the way that it unfolded. Uh, what I mean by that is this does not necessarily mean that this took place immediately after Sarah's death, that he had taken another wife whose name was Keturah. Now, verses 2, 3, and 4 list six sons that Abraham had with Keturah, as well as some grandchildren, even some great-grandchildren. But if you recall, when we looked a couple weeks ago, Abraham and Sarah were quite surprised by the fact that they were going to be able to have a son, Isaac. 
in their old age. They were surprised by that. Well, it seems quite probable that what happened here is that these sons were born to Keturah before Sarah died, meaning that Abraham, well, you know, we're a bit shocked by this, but look at verse 5. Verse 5 and 6, it says, Abraham gave, gave everything he owned to Isaac, and Abraham gave gifts to the son of his concubines. While he was still alive, he sent them eastward, away from his son Isaac, to the land of the east. Keturah was actually one of Abraham's concubines. You know, when Sarah died, it seemed that she took on more of the role of a wife, uh, but now, now, just so we're very clear also, this does not mean, this does not mean that God approves extramarital activity. That is not what it means at all. The Bible is true, and in that truth, it, it gives us some of the sins of God's people, truthfully. That doesn't mean you follow in those things that, that are against God and against his word. It's obvious from the earlier account of when Ishmael was born through one of Sarah's servants. You see, it's obvious that Abraham and Sarah sometimes applied their own ideas to life. They sometimes applied their own ideas to life. Now, what we see here is Isaac holds a special place, not only as the firstborn son in the marriage, in the marriage, others were born outside of that marriage. This is the only child of Abraham and Sarah, and that gives Isaac a special place in the promise of God. God promised Abraham that about his descendants, Abraham and Sarah then, when things weren't unfolding as quickly as they thought they should, Sarah said, Let, let's do this through my servant, through one of, one of the concubines there. You know, through my, do it through my servant. And, and this is what happened. Uh, you know, now Abraham, Abraham grows in his faith over the years. And now what we see is he realizes, you know, this promise of God rests solely on Isaac. He realizes that some of the other things he did were outside of God's will, outside of God's direction, and he sees that it rests solely on Isaac. And now at this point in his life, he has decided to live in line with God's word, and as a result, uh, you know, he decided before, but, you know, we're all sinners. We struggle with this stuff. And he did. Abraham did. You know, but what we see here, he's in line, deciding to live in line with God's word. And as a result, it says that Abraham gave everything to Isaac. Now, it's more correct as you read on with the verses there, what we just read in verse 6, that he gave everything he had left to Isaac. You see, he had to take care of his responsibility to his other children. It says that he gave them, in verse 6, that he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and then sent them away. So what that did was diminish what he had left to give to Isaac, the son of promise, because he had to fulfill his responsibilities because of some of his his own ways that he put in in line and, and tried to do his own thing. 
Had Abraham chosen to live in line with God's word earlier, he would have had more to give to Isaac, the son of promise, but he didn't. Had he chosen to live in God's, you know, according to, in line with God's word earlier, he also would have saved himself the heartache of having to send some of his family away. Not an easy thing to do. Now, the spiritual guidance for our life here, you know, that in your outline there, you know, decide to live in line with God's word now. Now. Do it now. The sooner, the better. If you haven't been doing that, if you haven't been living in line with God's word, the best time to do it is right now. If you've taken things into your own hands and tried to be doing things your own way, as Sarah and Abraham tried to do, if you tried to do that, the best way to, the best time to leave that and begin doing what God wants to you to do is right now. If you've been applying your own ideas, your own ways of how to get things done, you know, and your own ways of how life should fit together and how it should flow, if that's what you've been doing and that which, that's what you've been following and you claim to have a relationship with God, what you should be doing is living in line with God's word now. Not just applying your own ideas. If you've been living by the standards of society, a society that doesn't know or follow God, if that's what you've been living in, in line with the, with the standards of a society that rejects God, the time to, to begin living by his word instead of by what society says is now. If you let the opinions of others direct you instead of the word of God, the time to start living the word of God is now. Right now is the time to decide you will live in line with God's word. You can't do it any sooner than now. You may have some regrets, but don't let those regrets hold you back and hold you down from living God's word now. You need to be living in line with his word now. You should not wait until later. You should do it now. Live in line with God's word now. Verse 7, pick up with verse 7. This is the length of Abraham's life, 175 years. He took his last breath and died at a ripe old age, old and contented, and he was gathered to his people. That's a kind of a neat picture there. He's gathered to his people. It shows, you know, their, their belief even then of life after death. Uh, verse 9, his son Isaac, his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite. This was the field that Abraham bought from the Hittites. Abraham was buried there with his wife, Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son, Isaac, who lived near Beret Leha Roi. Okay, now, here from a historical point of view, you know, the author, God working through Moses as he puts this together, he is wrapping up, he is wrapping up the information about Abraham's life. That's what he's doing here. He's bringing that to a conclusion. Now, notice what it says here. What, what, a, what a gift. It says, you know, he died at a ripe old age and, and contented. Some of the translations say, and, and full of years or, or satisfied with life. What a great thing to be able to have said about you at that time. All of, all of, all of the patriarchs, all of God's people, you know, as you read through scripture, all of God's people didn't die in that that state some of them died fighting god 
Some of them died miserable because they were putting in their own ideas and their own things. Abraham, though, says that he died, you know, he, he died uh, full of years, satisfied, you know, satisfied with life at a ripe old age, telling us, you know, he was in a good place physically, emotionally, and most, of, most important, Abraham was in a good place spiritually when he passed away. Now, it seems that Isaac and Ishmael, they were reconciled here. They're the only ones of Abraham's children here who are listed as burying their father, Abraham. We had the other list of Abraham's children with Keturah. They're nowhere around. He had, they got sent away. You have, you have Isaac and Ishmael here. Now, Ishmael was born when Abraham and Sarah decided that they waited long enough for God to fulfill his promise to give them children. And as they waited, they came up with their own plan of using using uh, Sarah's uh, servant as a surrogate, you know, to be able to have have this child. God did not approve of that. And Ishmael was sent away. You know, he was sent away. Here he is. He comes back. Isaac, the son of promise. He's the son of promise. He's born after Abraham and Sarah were too old to have children by their own physical abilities. So God moved. He said then there, then there was no question that this was an answer to God and by God, a movement by God to bring that son about. We're told Isaac was born when Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. We looked at that a few chapters earlier. When, it, when, he was, when Isaac was born, Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100. And what you have here now is the son born of impatience and the son born of promise came together to bury their father, Abraham. And notice he was buried in that only piece of land he owned in all, in all of this land that God promised, the one and only piece of land that he owned that he bought at an exorbitant price. The land promised to him by God. You know, he's in this burial plot in the cave of Machpelah there, it says, near the field of Mamre. It, the field didn't even carry Abraham's name. The field in the cave didn't even carry Abraham's name. Yet, you know, this is, this is the, the, the land God promised him. Isaac was the son that was born in the line of the descendants of Abraham. Isaac was the son born of promise. Ishmael was the son born of impatience. And verse 11 tells us, after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac. Abraham was dead, but God still honored his word to Abraham. Now for us, as we're living, you know, know that God will continue to honor his word even after we're gone. He will continue to honor his word even after we're gone, so live his word now. Begin living his word now. What example are you going to pass on to those kids? Live his word now. The promise of God's, uh, the promise of God's word remains and it's fulfilled even after we're gone because the fulfillment, because God's word does not depend on us. It depends on God. And God will fulfill his word. You know, the promise of God's word depends on the power of God and he will honor it. So decide to live in line with God's word now. In verses 12 through 18, Moses wraps up the the story of Ishmael. 
of Ishmael's history. You know, he's kind of wrapping that up, you know, so you have some of the, the things there. And again, this is where it's not necessarily in chronological order. He wrapped up Abraham, now he's wrapping up Ishmael, you know, and we're told about the sons of Ishmael there in verses 12 through 16. Uh, he tells us about Ishmael's sons. And then we're given, you know, the final thoughts regarding Ishmael. Look at verse 17. The length of Ishmael's life, 137 years. He took his last breath and died and was gathered to his people. And they settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite Egypt, as you go toward Assur. And he lived in opposition to all his brothers. What an ending statement there. What an ending statement about Ishmael's life. Quite a contrast, you know, to his father. Where his father died, you know, at a ripe old age and full of years. Ishmael, you know, died and he lived in opposition to his brothers. What a statement. The son of Abraham's impatience lived in opposition to the son of promise. For us, know that your actions will have lasting consequences. Abraham took action. Abraham and Sarah took action on their own apart from God and decided that they were going to have a, have this child on their own, by their own means, by their own methods. And that's how Ishmael was born. And here we're told, then Ishmael does what? Lived in opposition to all of his brothers. Know that your actions will have some lasting consequences. Some you will like and some you won't. Consequences doesn't mean it's all bad. Consequences mean it's the result of what you do. Some of you are here because as a consequence of your parents' faith. Some of you are here as a consequence of your parents' faith, as a result of your parents' faith, of their prayers, of, you know, of your grandparents' prayers, and of their faith. And some of you are here as a, know, you know, know that, that, you know, your, your life will have lasting consequences. So decide to live in God's word now. The consequences you leave behind will be in line with God's word, not opposed to them. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 takes us back to following Abraham's line. Wrapped up Abraham, you know, pretty much wrapped up Ishmael. Now he goes back to Abraham's line. It says, these are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padamnaram, and the sister of Laban, the Aramean. So he married his cousin, you know, but... That's another story. Verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. An important verse there. The Lord heard his prayer and his wife Rebecca conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two people will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there were indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red-looking, covered with hair like a fur coat. That is one hairy kid. Covered with hair like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, grasping Esau's heel with his hand, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old 
when they were born. Now, we're told here, we're told that it was after 20 years of waiting that Esau and Jacob were born. Now, just a little bit of historical stuff for you here. You know, if you look at this, Abraham was still alive when the twins were born. He was 160 years old. Now, if you look at this, Abraham was 100 when Isaac was born. Here it says Isaac was 60 when the twins were born, making making Abraham 160 years old. We're told Abraham died when he was 175, so his grandsons were 15 years old when he died. Now, you have a huge contrast here, though, between Isaac and Abraham as they both faced the same struggle, their wife's inability to conceive children. Abraham, you know, as we said, Abraham, already, you know, he did his own thing. Now, Isaac went to God with his need. Instead of concocting his own plan, Isaac went to God with his need. You know, and, and, you know, he still waited, still waited 20 years for the answer. Even though he went to God. When Rebecca had a problem, she also, it says here, went to the Lord for answers. Instead of depending on her own ideas. God told her what was happening, what was happening and, and when it would happen, you know, and what was, what was going on there. God was helping her to put some of these pieces together. You know, for us, know that God is working while we're waiting. While we think we're waiting, God is still working. He is still at work. And often he's working on us. It is not idle time. Waiting is not idle time. Waiting is not wasted time. When we're following God and we're living for God, and, and you know, Abraham and Sarah, they, they, were, they, they did their own thing. Isaac and Rebekah, waited and continued to wait and didn't do their own thing and continued to wait and follow God and what God had told them and how God told them to live. It's not, it's not wasted time. So decide to live in line with God's word now even while you're waiting. Now, this chapter ends with a little insight into the character of Jacob and Esau after a few more years. We're a few more years down the road here. Notice what it says, verse 27. When the boys grew up, so, you know, we're beyond, we're beyond that, that 15, that we're age 15 that we were looking at when their grandfather died here. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. Let me eat some of that red stuff. Um, that's why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is this birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Parents having an obvious favorite child is never a good thing. It takes a toll 
on child. It takes a toll on that relationship there. Now, the wording in verse 28, where it says Isaac loved Esau, and, and but Rebecca loved Jacob, that doesn't mean that they didn't love the other one. What it means here is just what it says, that they preferred one child. Now, this came out in more than simply sibling rivalry, because do you suppose that they still longed a little bit more for a deeper love with the parent who favored the other one? And what you see here is more than sibling rivalry, because what you see is, you know, in these verses here is manipulation and even extortion, rash statements and impulsive decisions. Jacob, we're told, coveted the birthright Esau had, and he allowed his coveting to direct his actions and his behavior toward his brother. He wasn't working here and living here in line with God's word. He was letting his, his coveting direct his actions. Esau also was not, you know, you know, he wasn't giving the promise of God the way that it should have in his decision making. He wasn't letting that at all. He wasn't, you know, living in, in line with what God had said or, you know, his flippant attitude. It's a reflection of his heart, uh, you know, at that time. And at that time, he was unconcerned about God. Now, Isaac and Rebekah, they both took their concerns and needs to the Lord earlier instead of coming up with their own plan of action. But something happened along the way. We're not told what, and we're going to see more of this unfold in the chapters coming up. You know, but, but something happened along the way, and they did not pass on the importance of knowing God and embracing his promises to their sons. They did not pass that on. Something happened. And they were no longer living as clearly in line with God's word. And their sons picked up on this. And if you look here, the relationship between Isaac and Rebekah seems strained at this point as well. And as we get into these, the following chapters in the weeks to come, you're going to see that it indeed, it indeed was strained. And parents with an unstable relationship to God will most likely experience a strain in their relationship as husband and wife. It's going to come through. And that strain in their relationship will also most likely guide their children to an unstable relationship with God as well. And that's what we see coming out here. That's what we see coming out, you know, in Jacob and Esau. We see this instability coming through to them. And that promise of God, which came to anchor their grandfather Abraham, you know, and, and seemed to anchor their father Isaac at first, it was not given the intention, it was not given the importance that it should have had. And we see the results here. It's an indication that God did not have the importance that he should have had in their lives at this point. A quick way to mess up your kids is to give God a lesser place in your living. You want to mess your kids up? Give God a lesser place in your living. Give him a lesser place in your decision making. Give him a lesser point in your uh, place in your choices. You want to you want to see your kids embrace God more? Then give God that higher place in your living. Give him a higher place in your decision making. Give him a higher place in the choices of how you live your life. And know that your choices will be reflected in your children. Your choices will be reflected in your children, so decide to live God's word now.
now. Live his word out. Jacob and Esau exhibited character flaws here of not appreciating their family and their family heritage with God. Today, many people... Many people turn from godly values that their family embraced and they turn aside from them and forfeit God's blessing and they have missed opportunities that God had for them because they turn and walk away from God. How you live out your faith now will have an effect on future generations. It's having an effect on future generations. Decide that you will live God's word now and always. Let's pray.